Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Welcome to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. You are listening to Privacy Piracy. We are having a field interview at the Irvine Hilton at the Data Protection Summit, and we're in this exhibit hall. And right now, I am speaking with Tom Fedro, and he is with Farstone, Optimizing System Recovery and Performance. So, Tom, tell us, what is the problem that you resolve? Well, in a nutshell, what we do at Farstone is provide instant and painless recovery from PC and network problems. So, what does that mean? Yes, what does that mean? Whenever you have a problem with a virus getting past your defenses, or you install a new piece of software and your computer just explodes, it doesn't work anymore, or your son downloads something from MySpace and all of a sudden this computer's going so slow it's like molasses. We're able to take you back to an hour ago or a day ago or yesterday. It's like a time machine for your computer. Wow. Okay, so it's instant recovery and it's for the non-technical user. Hmm. People like myself or my mom who could get on and with three keystrokes recover her system. That's wow. in essence what we do here at Farstone. And how long does that take? It takes about 30 seconds to a minute. Whereas with alternative solutions, where you have to rebuild your entire operating system, Microsoft Windows, and then you have to bring your data from CDs or from a uh, external disk drive, can right. take hours drive, yeah. or days. And most people, if they don't have a, a real smart neighbor or their son can't do it for them, they're going to take it down to a Best Buy and spend four hundred dollars to get their system right. back. And working. wait three weeks. Exactly right. Yeah. So we provide a. Uh, a product here that allows them to do it themselves very quickly, very easily, with no pain. Now, yeah. it's really user-friendly, like somebody like me who's not a high-techy person? Absolutely. I wish if we were on TV, you could see the screen right here. There's okay, only four little buttons yeah, talk that me we touch this. on. Yeah. Uh, we can create, restore, create point a restore point here, okay. or you back up your files, uh-huh. or you back up drives. 
or you can clone your drive. Those are the four functions in our drive clone product here that we're showing today. And uh, it's really easy. It's like a snapshot. So if you look at uh, how you use your system, everything's working today. Tomorrow you wake up, something's wrong. You get a blue screen where you know Windows just cor is corrupted. You don't know why. You're able to take it back to yesterday when everything worked with th three keystrokes, even when the operating system doesn't so, Tom, uh, you have to put this on, like, when you first get your computer, right? You can't put it on after the problem, can you? That's right. It's uh, it's kind of an insurance policy. Right. You, you want it on there before. And the way, Farstone, the way we do our business is primarily through uh, what we call original equipment manufacturers, OEMs. People like AOL or uh, Trend Micro or Intel. These are all customers of ours who take our technology that I've been describing oh, you partner with them. and it include it in their systems. In fact, one of the people, other folks that you'll probably interview is Seagate. Right. And they uh, actually ship our product with their high-end disk drives, their USB drives. Hmm. So that's how we sell our product. Farstone is not all that well-known out in the industry because... Now can you buy that uh, in a box in sure. online or something or in a computer store? We sell uh, online yeah. at www.farstone.com where you right. can just go and buy it and download it. Right. Uh, and other than that, we primarily sell it through partnering, partnering situations like uh, when it's bundled with the Seagate drive or with uh, an antivirus product or a security product of somebody else's. They take this very incredible technology yeah. and in include it in their solution. Right. Now, if, if I have a problem when I'm doing it, do you have uh, tech support for this kind of thing too? Oh, absolutely, yeah. We've got a tech support online and then by phone. But that's the, the beauty of our product is it's so easy to use with three keystrokes. It's it's uh, it's for the non-technical user. So, okay, our, so our, let's say I wake up in the morning and somehow everything is like really slowed down. Okay? Yes. And it seems like forever for my outlook to open. Right. That happens okay. a lot. So, so what, what does that mean? What do I do so I don't have to go and spend... You know, $100 an hour to get somebody to help Right. Me. I well, that, already have this on my machine. Yeah. That's a typical scenario where what happened, you have no idea. And most people don't. And instead of going through a huge diagnostic process with a support person from Dell or from your ISP, right. you're simply able to use our product to go back in time. You pick a, a restore point from yesterday or the day before okay, or a week was ago. working fine yesterday. Yeah. So you pick that restore point and click OK and you're done. Let me do that. So here I go. Okay, let's see. This. So do this for me. Show me. Yeah, let's see. If I right got now, I'm looking at the computer. They have this box up here, and it says restore point. Whoop, and now he's, start. he's looking quick start. And it says. It could drive, be. I, drive it always happens. Always happens in the demo. My uh, <laughs> my technical guy here is. Uh, okay. Is has been doing a demos that I'm jumping right in his heel. So return okay. to a system restore point. So we hit click. Uh, restore, return oh, yeah, to a restore up, point. The calendar came up. Yeah. And then so we're uh, yesterday. We pick a schedule restore point. So that's uh, three three keystrokes. Right. And now we restore the system. That's it. Wow. Now, what happens with that? Let's say it was a spyware or some virus. Then I would immediately run my, my uh, virus scan, or what do I do next to make sure that it doesn't reinfect? Right. That's exactly right. You would go back in time to a point where it wasn't there, so it doesn't, it no longer exists on your computer. Oh. Right, because we, we are basically keeping snapshots. Boom, and so the virus comes in. You're going to go back before it came in. 
So wow. it's gone forever, okay? Oh, so I don't have to then do... Uh, no virus scan, because do... virus scans, how long do they take? They can take right. hours, right. you know, forever. So that's the thing. We go back to oh, our it's like, you, completely it is a time gone. machine. It's a time machine for your computer. Exactly right. Great. Yeah, and that's and it's for the non-technical user. It's called Drive Clone, and uh, we've got millions and millions of licenses already out in place. It's now available uh, on Vista, so uh, we're very excited about it. And that's, because I'm getting Vista. I bought a new computer and I have to upgrade. You bet. Yeah, you. This will work fine with Vista. Okay. You know. So it will come with Vista embedded in it. No, no, no. no, no this no. is a, it's a separate product okay, that so you would it buy. It works with Vista. Compatible. It's compatible with Vista. Okay. You know, XP. Uh, you know, all the Microsoft products. We even yeah. have a version for Linux. Yeah. So it's a a very comprehensive solution. We also. But what if you have a small business, you can do the same thing with a small, medium-sized business. Exactly. What we've been talking about is primarily for the desktop user, right, right. and then we have a version now for the server, oh. which essentially does the same thing. Where wow. your server goes down, your business is dead. Right. We're able to bring you back instantly from those kind of crashes. Right, and you probably already use a backup anyway if you're a business. So you have a exactly. For anything that you did, maybe since the thing came out. Exactly right. You have the backup, but remember that takes a long time. So what we're no, offering right now, now is, we want to use oh, the thing. Okay. Bring it back. So that's what we do. So we got a server version. Very neat. And we just came out with a uh, a version for system builders, which are the actual computer manufacturers would include it when the box ships. Like so, when you get your your system at home, it's already on there. Yeah. So we've got some folks already doing that. So let me ask you a question. So it, do you have to run it, or does it is it sitting in the back? You don't once you put it on, you don't have to do anything to activate it it's already activated and then it's somewhere like when you pull up start it's there exactly so i don't it, i don't have to worry about it being there until i've got a problem you're is that right perfect perfect line of questioning yes that's the key is because backup and restore this kind of product it's kind of like flossing everybody knows they need to do it mm -hmm. but they don't this is a product that is what we call a set it a and no forget it install it it goes to work it has default settings, so it does a snapshot every day. Interesting. And you'll never even know it's there. Until you need it. Until you need it. And you don't have to do anything to test that it's going to work. Like when I do a backup of my system, my computer guy comes and tests it, you know, for sure. my business. You don't have to test it? No, you can do it. Like like right now, we could do that, you know, just by restoring the computer. We could do that right now, right this wow. right this second. You can do it anytime you want. But it's really more as an insurance policy against these issues we've talked about. So is it like backing up? Is that what it's really doing? I mean, what's the, the intelligence of it? Yeah, it's backing up your system every day? You bet. That's it's. Uh, you know, when you take it down to the next level of detail, it's a continuous data pro, uh, protection (CDP) architecture. We're watching every minute change to your hard drive at wow. this what's called a sector level. So it's not at a file level; it's at a sector level. Any change at all, we're recording that. And when you do the snapshot, which is automatic every day, or if you want, it could be every hour or every two hours. But it, any cadence that it's on, it creates that snapshot stores it in a protected area on this system, on the hard drive itself, so that Windows can't get to it, the user can't get to it, a virus can't get to it. It's completely safe. If there's any ever a problem, you can go back to that snapshot. So in it's seconds. like it's, it's immune to all the bad things that can come in, the exactly. spyware, the Trojan. Let me ask you another question. Let's okay, so it's good for a virus, a Trojan, a spyware. Is it good if there's a crash? Yes. If there's a hard drive crash where you just have a smoking hard disk here, yeah. 
the uh, what we what we prompt you to do is to have a complete backup, which this product does. It takes a complete image of this hard drive yeah. and puts it on an external drive, like a USB drive, okay. or online backup. Where oh. yeah, I'm a little worried about that for privacy exactly. reasons. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that that yeah. we just give you options. We believe that that will be a trend that will take off. Now that security is getting so much better and it's becoming much more affordable, but we offer can, all okay, the options. I have a hard drive backup. Right. So you just put a complete backup of this system on that USB, on that hard drive okay, backup. Okay, so when I back up, this will also back up onto my backup. Exactly. So all I need to do is have that I see. So if I have a crash, it so works if, So if you, if you have to crash, if this thing crashes, you've got a complete backup on right, this. Right, Replace this and drive. And backs up Boom. every day. Boom. Cool. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, it's really cool. It's yeah. really neat. And it's easy to use. Yeah. It's very economical, and it's available today. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you. And wait Absolutely. a minute. Give us your website. Yeah. Well, okay. Website is www.farstone.com. F-A-R-S-T-O-N-E.com. And, and you are Tom Fedro, your EVP of Sales Marketing Operations. Yes. And I thank you so much. And you're right here in Irvine. Right here. Local oh, company. So if I have a story. problem, I know to come and get you. There you go. Not okay, a problem. Okay, very good. You thank know, you. we're at the campus at the University of California, Irvine. Perfect. All we'll right. come by. Okay, very good. Thank you so Thanks much, Tom. Okay, now we moved over to another booth here. It's called WebSense. It says, we find them before they find you. And we are speaking with David Meisnick, who is Marketing Manager, EBO at WebSense in San Diego. Hey, thanks for joining us. Thank Tell you. us, what is WebSense? So WebSense is a uh, content filtering security company. Traditionally, we've been in the content filtering space and have recently branched out into the data leakage space or information leak prevention space. Uh, and so what that is, is um, whereas uh, our core set of products prevent from external threats to stop spyware and hacking tools and things like that, web security threats, our new information leak prevention solution uh, acquired from Port Authority Technologies allows us to stop and uh, enforce policies around data leaking from the network, which is a growing problem for organizations out there. So what do you mean by data leaking? That's not a, that's not really a uh, hacker, or is it? Or is what, what does that include, data leaking? Well, it could be in many cases a hacker, but actually 80 to 90% of all leaks are actually unintentional leaks. Oh. And what we mean by data leaking is, say, uh, a bank, for example, a customer service representative having access to uh, customer information, sending that out, that customer's social security number and or birth date or address or account numbers out by accident in an email or in an instant message conversation or perhaps printing out a document uh, to a local printer that has confidential information and forgetting that he or she printed that and leaving it there and a janitor or whomever picks it up and then uses it for malicious purposes and right. violates regulatory compliance, customer Maybe confidentiality. Identity theft. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So how does your how do they do that? How does WebSense do that? How do they keep the leak from going out? Sure. Well, you know, it's it's kind of a three-step process. The first thing you want to do is have a tool like WebSense that can discover where the data is on the network. Because let's face it, data comes in many different forms. You have data that's in databases and then you pull it out of databases, you put it in Word documents. PowerPoint files, Excel documents. So you want to find where that data is on your network, who's got it, and what they're doing with it. And then what you want to do is you want so to... So wait a minute, so how do you do that? That, do that sounds, that could be crazy, because like some people have laptops. Absolutely. They have things on PDAs. Uh -huh. They have USB 
little plugs. Right. They may have transferred it to a vendor or outsourced company. I mean, how do you find all that? Well, it's a great question. In fact, 30% of all leaks are actually from outsourced trusted partners. But what we do is we have an agentless um, automated discovery tool that goes around and fingerprints the data without putting an agent on the endpoint or the, the host uh, or the, the endpoint at all. And what you can do with that is find all that data out there, aggregate it, um, fingerprint it, which is what we call our fingerprinting technology or precise ID, so that as that information goes out over the wire, whether it's over email or um, uh, the web, um, when it's going internally or externally out of the organization, we fingerprint it again, and if the two fingerprints match up, the one we took of the data the first time around, and then as it's going over the wire, if they match up, then we enforce whatever policy an administrator has set. So that policy may be to encrypt that information, to block it, to quarantine it until a manager approves it. And the idea is that you set your data leakage policies around your existing business processes. Okay, so let me ask you something. Do you fingerprint it when you collect it? Is that That's probably the best place to do it, right? Right. But what if I'm a company that says, you know, I want to do it now and I've got my stuff all over the place. You can go out and find it even when you've been in business several years and you don't know where it is? Absolutely. And so you can set automated scanning so that not only do you do an initial scan of all the data on the network on, say, the first day of the month, but maybe every two days it does a new scan or every time a new file is created, it automatically scans it and fingerprints it, accessing all databases, all file repositories and, and the like. So how does it know to fingerprint it as sensitive or non-sensitive? How, how does it have that intelligence? Well, there's a lot of uh, complex algorithms that go in. There's some 27 patents, I think is the number. Wow, yes, yeah, so I'm not uh, telling you to technology. give away any patents. Right, right. But, <laughs> but it I'm does it. You know, basically, generally. It does it a variety of different methods, and how it classifies it is into a variety of different uh, categories. So you might be a company that has uh, regulatory requirements under GLBA or SOX or other regulations, and with an easy check of a button, you can search out there for that data and monitor it to see if any violations have occurred with that information, where it is, and then set enforcement policies around that data to say, hey, no social security numbers can go outside of my organization or uh, only HR has access to employee records, or even down to, uh, it's not just about confidential information like customer information anymore, it's also about intellectual property. Right. So a lot of organizations like pharmaceutical companies, patents, patents exactly, are trying to set policies around that, and we can fingerprint that data too, so that you can set policies around that. So in other words, when you mean fingerprint, it's mean you have, you have it identified as a certain type of information that can only be accessed in a certain way or sent out in a certain way, that's exactly and when it. when this, I'm just trying to see if I understand it. Yeah, yeah. And then when then when it's trying to be sent out, then it matches. If it matches, it doesn't let it go out. Or or it may quarantine it or encrypt it automatically. Oh. But absolutely, that's that's exactly how it works. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't just look at the document. It looks at the content in the document. So we call it content-aware technology because. So it's intelligent. That's exactly right. So if you manipulate that content copy, paste it into something else, it'll still it'll catch still it. It'll still find it. Right. That's amazing. So this is for small businesses, large businesses? Well, this is, is an it? emerging technology, and, and most uh, adopters of this are large organizations, particularly okay. in the finance sectors, retail, yeah, sure. manufacturing. Anybody who has to be subjected to the Gremlich-Bliley Act. Right. So financial institutions. Right. Yeah. So it's really about three things. It's about compliance, 
It's about customer information, especially for banks, organizations, low switching costs. Right. And then it's also about intellectual property. Interesting. What other products do you have that meet technology? So we have content uh, filtering and security technology, which allows for protection against external threats, so spyware and the like. Now we do that differently from traditional solutions like antivirus, whereas antivirus waits for a threat to propagate on the web, a few customers get infected, they get a sample of that, they produce a signature and they push it out, a longer term process. What we do is we search over uh, 600 million sites a, uh, a day for malicious code and threats on them, websites out there, because over 80% of threats that occur out in the web are web-based, so spyware on being hosted on a site, when you go to that site you get infected. So what we do when we say so we find them... you kind of crawl out there and look for it before it comes to you? You got it, which is our kind of our company tagline. We find them before they find you. Oh, yeah, that's we why find you say that. I was yeah. going to ask you about that. We find the threats out there before they find the customers. Oh. And then what we do is we set policies around saying that your users can't go to those sites. So they can't get infected in the first, first place. Oh. So there's so, no So what if somebody tries to go out there, or what, what does it do? It just blocks them from going out there? So if you type in a URL, say you type in CNN, okay. there's nothing wrong with going into CNN.com, uh, it'll, it'll let you go. But should CNN become infected with a piece of spyware that'll maliciously load on your machine at the instant you go there, we'll discover that. Uh, we're often first to discover that. And with our threat secret technology, we'll prevent people from even going to that site. So you'll get a block page saying, this oh. site has spyware. Oh, I see. Okay. So, that, so you're, this is software that the company puts on your software? Is that what it is? Or is it a piece of hardware that goes on? So it's software um, okay. that uh, organizations buy. It's network-based, so it doesn't, okay. you don't have to load it on the endpoint. And it'll enforce policies uh, even if the user is in the network or out of the network traveling remotely, for instance, at a show like this. Yeah. So do, so every company has its own policies. So do you have to, like, make it specific to that company? or? Well, the companies actually administer it themselves. Oh, and so it's they, simple they, point and click. they put in their policies so that they want? They simple, simply check a box that says, I want to stop people from going to hacking sites or I want to uh, stop people from going to spyware sites. And it even blocks back-channel communications, which wow. occur when somebody is infected and it's trying to uh, 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 transparently transmit that information back to a spyware site. It'll even stop that. But it's not really affordable for small businesses? And oh, absolutely it is. it is. Absolutely. So the, the one product, which is called Content Protection Suite, which is the data leakage solution, is more for enterprises out there. They're the early adopters for this product. Though it does scale down for institutions who have to. I was going to say small, the small businesses. companies may yeah. have a small office, but they may have tons of data right, that, they're out, you know, that, that was outsourced to them. It really depends on the organization, because if you're a small organization, maybe 50, 100, 250 users, if IP is your business, or if your customer records is your business, yeah, you better you, you need to do something about that. And the same is true on the uh, the filtering or content security side of things right. with web security or web security product. Is that um, a lot of small businesses uh, actually implement our product, and it's it's really tailored for ease of use, ease of deployment. Um, and small businesses really like that. Right. So, so do they have like um, tech support, or I mean, is that you have somebody that comes out and meets with you, or how does oh, that work? We're a global organization. We have over twenty-four thousand customers worldwide. Great okay. tech support channel that fully supports our product, and not only reselling but in servicing it. The nice thing about our product, it's so intuitive to use. It's so easy to set up. 
is that a lot of organizations are, are able to really do it themselves, quick tutorials and support from our end, uh, and then 24 by 7 support to, to help them out if they should hit, uh, encounter any problems. Great. Could you give us your website? Absolutely. It's websense.com. W-E-B-S-E-N-S-E.com. Well, thank you so much. It thank you very great. much. We've been Likewise. talking to David, and he did a great job. Thank Thanks. you. Now we're at Princeton Soft Tech, the power of enterprise data management. And here we are with Aaron Offenberg, and he is from, uh, let's see, Martin, New Jersey, all the way back here. And, and he remembered that he saw me in Toronto, and he is also a certified information privacy professional. We both passed that horrible test. So it's great to see you again. And tell us, Eric, about your product. What what problem is it solving? First, talk about the problem. Okay, well, first, it's great to see you again as well. What we're talking about and actually spoke about this morning is the internal threat in regards to data privacy. Many companies here uh, at this event and that we've seen around other privacy events do a very good job with encryption, with front-end security, around your primary production environment. But when you have to do testing or development activities, you also need data as well. So what most companies do is they'll make a copy of that production database and then you'd use that for test or development. Well, what you've just done is all the security you have in the front has just been defeated oh. because now you have a copy available to your employees who can now see realistic my credit card number, my social security, whatever information a company might have. So why aren't they encrypting this backup? Well, the thing is with testing and development, you actually have to use realistic data. So you can't use encrypted data. So you would use encrypted data on the front end, but on the back end, the application, to be able to do your correct testing activities, the application might say, I need a real 16-digit uh, credit card number or a real nine-digit uh, nine social security number. So it's really, you have to give the application contextually accurate information. But, uh, and that kind of segues into what we do, uh, Princeton SoftTech's product, Optum, actually de-identifies or masks that data. Okay. So we'll give you a valid looking, but de-identified credit card number, social security number, name, address, phone number. So in, what happens is then your developers and testers are using data that looks and feels like real data, but it's not mine, it's not yours. If your company outsources data, once that data leaves your corporation, you might not know what's going on with it. But if you've de-identified it, you don't have to worry because it's... So that's what you mean by masking. How do you de-identify it? Masking and de-identification, we use similar terms. By de-identify, we use certain algorithms. Actually, when it's going, when that copy is being made from production to test. So it could be something as simple as, let's say, adding one digit to a social security number to something as complex as using multiple random algorithms and really the beauty of the product we have pre-confirmed pre already we call exit routines but at the same time you could build your own to make them as complex as you require. Okay, so, so if you have more sensitive information you might make it more complex if you have less sensitive you make it less complex? Correct, that's exactly it and at the same time what the product allows you to do is if you need, even in a testing environment, to make sure that a certain address mat matches a zip code, you can do that as well. Okay, so, so I'm thinking like maybe for like uh, the kinds of research that people do when they, like what Berkeley had outsourced information that got stolen, remember that? Yep. Or it's on a, on a laptop. So is that what you're talking about, that kind of research where you have to have outsourced and, and then you want to make sure that it's protected so that you're not hurting your clients? Or well, so, well, when we think, when we talk about outsourcing, many times testing or, or development activities might be sent to, let's say, someplace like India. 
so the labor's a lot less expensive there. Okay, so some companies will actually do testing or development work and send that to India because the cost of labor is a lot less expensive. So when they do the development work, once you've sent the data, you don't really know in whose hands uh, it goes into. We've actually seen reports a black market has popped up, especially in India, where they get this, this personally identifiable information and sell it. And this is exactly how they would get it, by companies sending their PII data overseas for development. Now, when you were talking about development, what do, what do you mean by development so that my audience knows kinds of what, what kinds of things you're talking about? Okay, let's uh, use an insurance uh, as an example. Okay. Uh, an insurance provider realizes they have their different um, production environment that takes in policy information. They have a new client. Well, they realize that they say to their customers, we don't accept anyone under the age of 18. And someone 16 years old signs up for a policy. Well, the application should automatically reject that. Yes. And they find out, oh, we have a problem that the application is not rejecting it. We have to fix it. So then they'll say, okay, Mr. Developers, let's, let's fix this. So they'll work in the development because you don't want to work in production as you're going live because right. if you make a mistake, you take down the whole system. Right. So your developers are actually working oh, so on So they're using that it. as like a thing to work on to, to see that what's going wrong and, and diagnose it. Exactly. So they're using... What, they're going to use their own development portion of the application, but then they have to use some sort of data to test it with. So they'll actually take some of that data from production to populate the database, and they'll say, okay, now is anyone who's under the age of 18 getting through? And that's really how development works, anywhere from fixing on the run to actually, let's say we have new capabilities for this application, and now we're going to insure dogs and cats. Right. And so they decide, so developers work on something like that. It's like any new product that they roll out, they're going to want to test and make sure that it works, but they don't want to have real data out there. So that's what this does. Exactly. Because really, if you think about your internal employees, the only thing that's really stop, stopping them from taking data is really the NDA that they sign. Right. When they sign the Non-disclosure. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yep. So I, I'm not sure if everybody driving by knows what we're talking about. That's with fine. Yeah, but oh, very um, good. So, and then the same, we, we also tell an example. We found out that the gentleman who lost his laptop from the VA was yes. actually a developer. Interesting enough. Typical, so, right? yeah. yeah, so we, we tell this story if they had de identified their data and they lost the laptop, still would have been unfortunate, but you wouldn't have to worry about the data of 60 million veterans okay. possibly being compromised. Exactly. So, the advantage over encryption is that certain research you can't really encrypt it, is what you're saying. Is that what you're saying? The difference between encrypting and masking? Correct. Well, Masking is, is what, I'm sorry, data encryption is what you're going to do for your primary environment. If you think of something, let's use like Amazon.com. It's very hard to hack into their systems. They're going to encrypt a lot of their primary production data. But when you're testing and developing, you can't use encrypted data. So it's... Because you don't want to give the key out that much? Or what, why don't you want to do that? If you see as encrypted data as maybe pluses and minuses and okay. symbols, the application is going to say, well... I need oh, a 16 digit credit card. Right, exactly. I, okay. I need to see 16 digit. And you don't want to give him the key because you don't want him to de encrypt. Right, and okay. so there's okay. really no, in this, usually with masking, there's no key involved. Because once you mask it, you test it and throw it away. It's You don't have to unencrypt because you just tested right. with it. Right, so there's really nothing identifiable in there. Exactly. Okay. So okay. it's what we you see. You can't like profile, there isn't enough to, to really do a profile of these people? No, very easy. Many companies are doing this uh, data de identification. Right now it's become obviously a concern with retail 
with what I, with TJ Maxx uh, right. and the PCI regulations, the payment card regulations right. from Visa and MasterCard. Visa and MasterCard yeah. Yep, they actually require data masking in non-production environments. So this has become this is like the way the standard we standard or the best practices. Yep, so to speak. really. Well, and again, talking about the way to mitigate the internal threat. Now it sounds like this would be mostly large companies, although if if smaller companies are doing research and letting outsourcing people do this that you know they may be masking as well or is it mostly large companies uh, really the product is is meant uh, for I would say mid to large size companies because one of the benefits of the product is you think with one database usually multiple applications are going to touch that data yes. so this solution is really built it will work across databases many applications and many platforms if you don't have too much data it's easy enough that you possibly can do it yourself. You can write different types of masking SQL. But when you're looking at millions and millions of rows as many corporations have today, right. you need something in place, that an off-the-shelf product that can do it automatically. And then you don't have to worry about access. Exactly. Access, doesn't matter who access because it's all de-identified anyway. Well, huh? give us your website. Okay. Well, clients can learn more. www.PrincetonSoftTech.com well, thank you. We've been speaking with Aaron Offenberg of Princeton Soft Tech, and thanks. It's great to see you again. Okay, thanks. thank you. All right, bye-bye. Okay. okay, now we are talking with Kevin Collins, and he is with Sony Computer Entertainment in San Diego, California. So tell us, Kevin, what do you do for Sony? Post-production systems analyst. What does that mean? Post that basically means we edit videos, and that's what the post-production is. We're at the last end of post-production where... We have the videos and we treat them, we composite them, we make them look good, we edit it up and make a final video for delivery. Um, and the videos that we deliver go on uh, websites or inside of video games, sometimes they even end up on TV and commercial. And what I do as a systems analyst, basically that means that I make sure that the day-to-day -day operations on the computers are up and going. I look for better ways to do business as far as infrastructure and workflow. I support whatever infrastructure and workflow comes from the top, as well as I advise my supervisors as to ways the business is trending, so that way we can produce more video, faster, better quality, especially with our recent transition last few years from standard definition video to HD video. It's been a real challenge, and we've had to meet that, um, not only from a budgetary standpoint, but obviously from a performance standpoint. So how did you get to be such a techie? Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I played video games a lot. Yeah. And when my video game didn't work, I tried to fix my computer. And from there, and it just kind of comes more natural to me. I haven't had too much formal education in video, or not necessarily in video, but also in uh, computers. Computer technology. When mm -hmm. I was in school, um, we had a special program, a video program at our school where we make our own like news casting. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, played a very active role in that. We used Media 100 systems back in the day. So, and uh, from there, when things would go wrong, I would just try and troubleshoot. You know, computers. You know, they're a logical thing. If you go in a certain order, you can always reverse that same order usually and come back to your previous result. So I just learned how to troubleshoot, and therefore I learned how to be techie. Pretty intuitive for you, huh? Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'm not afraid to ask questions. You know, a lot of people harbor information, don't like to share information because they feel that that makes their job less secure, as well as um, I'm, I ask to, to pick particular questions, and I take notes, and I listen to people, and I'm not afraid to ask for help. If I can't do something, that's right. I'm going to ask someone to help me. Exactly. So, so let me ask you something. I, I, I'm sorry, but I missed your keynote. I was interviewing some other people. So tell mm -hmm. me, what was the essence of your keynote? I heard it was great. Well, I'm glad that people thought it was great. Uh, I was really nervous. Um, <laughs> don't, don't even say that. <laughs> uh, the essence of my keynote 
was basically what user, was the name of it? It was um, building a sand, building a post-production sand from a user's perspective. That um, means what? <laughs> good question. That means basically instead of looking at it from an IT person, where I'm trying to make uh, one, one shoe fits all. Right. Looking at it for this, we have a specialized group here in post-production. Post-production is a very high-end, cutting-edge type of uh, need. We need very fast, reliable storage that's going to be able to transmit consistent throughput of data for our video files. We have enormous bandwidth requirements, uh, and as well as now that we move from standard def to HD, we have extreme space requirements. You know, whereas in Sony right now we work with video games, right? In my part of Sony, and a programmer, he does, you know, he types his code. It's like text files. You know, he doesn't need super fast throughput. He doesn't need a lot of storage. You know, the, the database person keeping track of HR and financing and accounting, you know, they don't need the type of performance we do. So a SAN that would work but for me them. me and my kids, right? Yeah, well, your kids. I hope you always don't need a SAN at home. <laughs> for standard users who are using text files and smaller files that don't require such high performance, don't need something special. We were delivered a $150,000 fiber channel solution from a company that I won't name, and within two months uh, of using that, it basically fell on its face and did not work for us at all. Huh. So that, that $150,000 came from our IT budget. So now, why was, didn't it work? It was just too big? or No, it didn't work for a couple reasons. First of all, the company <clears throat> did not meet its throughput requirements, meaning the data that we were trying to digitize which means basically take data from videotape and put it onto the computer right, in a video right, format. Right, right. <clears throat> Couldn't be done fast enough or enough mm -hmm. streams that we weren't satisfied with it, first of all, so it didn't live up to what it said it could do. Oh. And second of all, it was a token-based system. And what a token-based SAN is, is basically where one person at a time can write to it while everyone else can read. Oh. So if you have one person writing data and the other person wants to save his file, he can't save his file because he's waiting for that other data to be finished writing. Right. And that's just... That just does not work in a video flow when you have 20 people yeah, you know, writing it, yeah. and reading and writing data at any time, especially at very fast speeds. Right. So that $150,000 solution didn't work for us. And that was something that you know was not taken into account when they bought this solution. They didn't take into account our dynamic. They figured, oh, this would work for you because oh. someone said it was fast. Oh. And so it was up to me with our budget that was supposed to be set on buying a new camera. We took the money instead of buying a new camera, and I had $25,000 to build a SAN, basically, from that, um, using existing hardware and possibly purchasing new hardware and software. Existing and, SAN? What is SAN? A SAN is a storage area network, yep. so it's usually, a, it's usually a collection of RAIDs made into one volume, and that volume is served out and can be accessed by several different client computers. We took our archaic approach that we had going in our pipeline, and we made one giant SAN using XSAN software. And it was very cheap and easy to set up. I had no server experience or SAN software experience prior to setting this up. And that was kind of, um, my keynote was basically about how we were able to build this foundation for pennies on the dollar that wow. performed and was reliable. And over the last two years, we have, of course, invested in that. And since we've gone from standard def to HD, we have bought more disks, more Apple XServe raids, and we've continued to use QLogic fiber channel switches because they have truly performed um, when it comes to video and HD editing. And so what does it mean to people like me who wants to get these videos and stuff? I mean, it means that I'm going to be able to use it faster or it's going to work for me better? Well, this, or it's, this is means for a company. It's really for the company? This is for companies. Okay. A standard person at home, if you're trying to edit, you know, you're pretty, pretty good with a FireWire 800 drive, like an external FireWire drive, okay. will probably meet your needs. 
Now, if you're a high-end freelancer and you like to do freelance HD video work at home, it'll be worth it to you to invest in a RAID. But see, the, the beauty of a SAN is that many different clients can be a part of it. If I'm an individual, I don't need to share with many different people. Right. I need to share with myself. Right. So a dedicated fiber-attached solution will work fine for you. However, if you are a large corporation, you have many different editors, many right. different compositors, you need to have a central storage location, a central SAN volume that can handle all of their needs simultaneously. Can I ask a, a question? What about the, the, the fear if everybody is getting in there that they might ruin what you've done? Is there any fear about that? There's uh, always a fear. That's why it's important to back up your data. That's why we so have... So if, um, if five people working on it and four do a great job and one person screws it up, then you have the back and then you We can keep back backups of it as well as if you have... Like, we do do that, exactly. We have an artist that will work on it and we'll say, hey, edit this in your own way, you edit in your own way, don't talk to each other. So then we end up getting two different outcomes and we can decide which of the oh, two videos okay. look the best. Okay, so that right? you have like a, a working copy that you right. work on and you don't mess up. Well, let's say I give it to you as an artist and, and say you're the only person working on the project and you do mess it up. You start to finish, you mess it up, you go the wrong direction, you're not listening to your producer. Then we do, yes, have the original. If you made it poop from the beginning, yeah. then yeah. obviously it's useless to right. us, even the backup. But if you began making it good to some point and then you went a wrong direction at a different point, yeah. we have backups along the way. We use R-Sync um, to backup right now. Uh, pretty good task. So if something goes wrong, you can go back an hour. Anytime. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Yep. Any Terrific. More well, just give us your website. We can. I don't go have there. a website. No. Well, the website for Sony, the to buy the computer and entertainment stuff. Can we buy it online? Just yeah, PlayStation it, Three. Okay. Go play, buy one. Is it? I know. Is it for sale? <laughs> no, this yeah. Is, any no, Best no, no, Buy, no, no, Walmart. This is not a commercial. Oh. Where can people see these videos that you've worked on? In video games. Oh, in video games, in and video they can see it on SonyEntertainment.com or possibly some of the most of the ones you'll see there. Yeah, you should be able to see at Sony Entertainment. I don't know if it's SonyEntertainment.com. I think like SCA.com. Oh, but if, I guess if they type in Sony Entertainment, they can see it, right? Yeah, if you Google Sony Entertainment and you see web videos, 90% of the marketing web videos that we do for video games were produced in our building. Like I said, some of the commercials we've done in our building. And pretty much every video game, not every video game, but like SOCOM, any of the SOCOM video games, any of the MLB video games, any of the Killzone video games, any of the, if any of those games and more, so those um, are, are things on. that you guys have worked yes, on. Yes, the intro movies, So the kids the never scenes. know how much work and aggravation you went through, right? When they yep. get to see these, they just know that they're going to have fun playing the games, right? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Kevin Collins, who is with Sony Computer Entertainment in San Diego. Thank you. Now, as we walk along, we are now at Snap Server. It says Data Protection for Network Storage. And we are talking with Fletch Sullivan, who is System Sales, Adaptech. And where are you from? You're from... From Milpitas, oh, California. California. Oh, God, I can't even see in my old age. Okay, you're not too far, just up, up the coast. Well, th th that's what the card says, but truth be told, I'm uh, in Marriott Hotels and Hertz Rent-A-Cars. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. So tell glad us, to be here. What, what's the problem with data protection? Well, the problem with data protection is it's typically in one place, and anything in one place in large numbers of terabytes is vulnerable to being stolen, destroyed, or flood, fire, earthquake, bomb blast. Uh, most prudent data systems managers keep their data deployed out in the field at regional and remote off. The problem that Snap Server addresses in the marketplace is that a lot of the tier one uh, storage manufacturers will scale down to somewhere around a $15,000 solution for no more than six terabytes of raw storage. Uh, the problem that Adaptech solves is we scale all the way down to 160 gigabytes and we'll scale up to 66 
terabytes and anywhere in between for under $15,000. Okay, so this now th is this stored in your own facilities, in other words, so that if there is a fire or no, there's something, how no. does this work? No, these are uh, NAS storage devices that our customers can buy through value-added resellers and through our distribution partners. They can very simply deploy them out on their network, plug them into, say, the remote office in Singapore with only three people. It's very hard for a tier one storage vendor to economically play there. While certainly they have a feature set that will you know, facilitate asynchronous backup, the $15,000 price tag for that small little office is a very hard pill to swallow, especially if you distribute it over 25 or 30 offices. Therefore, we see their deployments being somewhat heterogeneous where you might have a tape backup or let's just say a managed e-vault type of a service to do the backup and the restores and maybe in the larger sites you might have a tier one asynchronous NAS or SAN solution. So we come to the table with a 66 terabyte solution, you know, in our larger or might be called a small medium business environment and we can scale down rather than up to really 160 gigabyte solution out in the small offices. So well, even the small offices can have just tons of data in there. I mean, you know, all you need is a computer, right? So you I mean Certainly. Even and the their small offices and their data is it. just as important. And uh, office is just as sensitive. Yeah, a, lawyer, a lawyer's data in their computers is just as important as a Fortune 500's uh, data warehouse would be right. for that individual or that business owner. Or a small owner. CPA firm. Exactly. Uh, but if you look at you know the size of you know what we're deploying right now, we have a 210, which is a, a terabyte solution, which is two 500 gigabyte SATA drives. Been in this industry about 15 years. I remember selling large SAN frames that would have a usable capacity of a terabyte and the size of a refrigerator. So Yeah, I remember my first computer when I sat on a school board in Orange County, California. I remember we bought this and we had a room full just to have, you know, a database that we had a, our first computer with IBM. Sure. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So an old analogy, we're going from tubes to transistors. We have a tiny little yeah. shoebox for it that holds a terabyte of data raw and uh, it's a corporate standard for uh, a supermarket that we're uh, currently working with. So all their POS and stored data is stored on the SNAP server and it's replicated back to their distribution point. The 410, uh, which is a four drive unit, which lists in the 35 to $4,000 range and maybe down to $2,000, depending on how they're configured, is a corporate standard for Albertson supermarkets. And these 110s, uh, which is just a single drive, are in every Costco. So, so they use this, this is in case they have a crash this, what are this used for? This isn't for like if there's this a fire. This is to get, yes and yes, this is okay. for store data. <laughs> okay, store data and POS data that is collected during this, the course of a day. It is then collected on a SNAP server and is then flushed back to the, the corporate headquarters or regional okay. office to be settled with a card, you know, credit card transactions, the interchange, and for, you know, middleware for supply chain management for the store. So all that data leaves the store, leaves the environment of the store, and is in a secure data center where it can be processed and ordered against. So when it leaves this, it kind of goes through a network, right? It goes and through it's a all, network. It's all encrypted. Is it it's all encrypted? encrypted? Yes. And so yes. it's protected as it travels back and forth. Yes. And this so is for small business? So our SNAP servers come with CAE Trust. Okay. All SNAP servers come with that, so it's a perpetual what is, license. What is E-Trust? But it's an antivirus software. Oh, okay. From Computer Associates. Very good. So it can't get corrupted on its way over, you're saying? Correct. Very good. Okay, you want to give your website? Now, this is for small businesses of people driving by right now? That this is for small businesses uh, for a primary storage. A, a little hidden fact about Adaptic Snap servers, we're in over 55% of Fortune 500 companies. We have over 200,000 installs 
out in the field. Mm. And uh, we've revamped our sales force. We've revamped our channel program. We have revamped our product line with the announcement of the new 650. And uh, all I would say to people that are listening to this is stay tuned because there's a lot of great things coming from Snap this year. Okay, so you can go to snapserver.com. Yes, you can. Thank you so much, Floyd. Thank nice, you, Mark. Nice talking to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Now we are at Miralink. It says real-time remote data protection right now. And we are speaking with the president and CEO, Ron McCabe. Hey, Ron. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, listen. What what kind of problem is there that you're going to solve? Well, I founded Miralink to provide real-time remote protection of data and make it viable for people. So what Miralink does is we provide a protection of your data off-site over standard internet or ethernet links, but we do it in a way that any user can implement it. So we have products that will fit a small business. We also are in, in accounts like the Department of Commerce. And wow. so we provide a real scalable solution that fits a lot of people's needs. And at the same time, people have called us the iPod of data protection. And it, <laughs> it's a very, very simple product they look at the interface and they're like, I can run this. And we've literally had people install our product in about 15 minutes. And our biggest, uh, our biggest joy is we had a large federal agency last year have a disaster, and they actually were able to recover, and their users didn't even know they had a problem, which for us is like hitting, you know, a yeah. ball in the ballpark. So, so tell me, Ron, how does this work? Well, I mean, you don't have to tell me patents or anything, but basically for, you know, just the people driving by who are listening to us, how, how does this thing work? Well, that's what's so great about our product. The way that I designed the technology is I talked to a lot of, of business owners and IT managers, and their big complaint was that real-time protection was really you know, complicated, expensive. The joke in the industry is it ships with an engineer. And so what we did is we designed a product that just shows up, and it looks like a disk drive to the server or the storage area network. And so we just, anything that writes to that disk is automatically mirrored off-site. And so, you know, we've jokingly internally called it the magic disk. Anything written to it is automatically protected. And so, so it backs up right on this little disk, and then it, and it, how does it get there? It just goes through the internet? Through Either a the internet, internet or standard Ethernet. So really, you know, some, some smaller clients just use the internet with a virtual private network, or larger clients will use their wide area network or their dedicated links between their offices. So, like with the World Trade Center, when all those people lost data, they would have been able to have everything real-time. What you mean by real-time is as something's coming in. Instantaneous. Instantaneously, it's going to another server as well. Is that what you mean, a secure server somewhere else? Like real-time, faster than you can blink your eye. It's, it's literally 48 milliseconds, it's off-site. Wow, so you don't have to send a backup tape somewhere else, take it somewhere else for a small business. It's real-time, it goes somewhere else to maybe their satellite office. Right, And vice right. versa, right? right? So and in fact, what we are showing at this show, we're pretty excited about. We've just signed a partnership with IBM on their continuous data protection product. And for, for a small, small amount, amount of money, workstation, yeah. <laughs> workstation, they're able to have continuous protection of every single workstation it mirrors it off-site, and then it's able to roll back or roll forward at a file level from any point in time. So literally, if you lose your office, you have all your data protected off-site. With our technology and with IBM's technology, you can go back a few weeks and recover a file. So, so that would be good for protection. like Katrina or any of these disasters. You're all set. You don't have to worry. You've got stuff backed up somewhere else. Right, and what we're passionate about is that a lot of these disasters 
people look at the work and effort it takes to protect their data off-site, and they just don't do it. It's too expensive right. and complicated. Right. So what we're excited about is we made it viable and easy for businesses to protect themselves. Now, it's affordable for small businesses as well as for large businesses. Yeah. Is that something? Because, you know, small business, I, I read something yesterday on, uh, on the Small Business Administration website or something, and they said like 85% of businesses in this country are small businesses. I right. know. And everybody and then, forgets about them. Yeah, they forget about them altogether. It's ridiculous. No, and that's the thing that we're excited about is that it was important to me as a founder to have a solution that a small business could afford. So, you know, yeah, we've got the big, big accounts that everybody, you know, needs. Yeah, everybody off. wants, yeah. But what I'm really <laughs> excited about is we've got like a small women's clinic in Rhode Island's customer with five workstations. Mm. We've got law offices of 10 customers, CPA right. offices, things that normally wouldn't be able to be protected. Right. And then what's really nice is because of the way insurance is set up, with the Maryland product, if you go to your underwriter for your business insurance, you can oftentimes get about a 7 to 12% discount on your insurance so right. that on a lease, the product a lot of times is, is free or almost free to implement. Right, because you know when you have your business insurance, you have it for backups, you know, I mean to restore your, if you have a crash or something like that, you don't have to worry about hours and hours. I remember years ago I had a crash and it took my computer consultant like five days to rebuild everything. Right. It was well, and what did that cost you? It cost me a fortune. Right. That's why I bought the insurance for my business. You know, as a lawyer, I, I bought it, and so I have it if I have a crash, but I guess I wouldn't really need it or I'd get a big reduction on it with my business insurance if I had a product like well, this. Well, actually, as a lawyer, the biggest losses that law firms have is on their malpractice and liability when they they lose their server and right. they lose their cases when they're right. and so you know specifically in that vertical our product it pretty much is free because of the discounts on insurance. Great. Okay, so give us your website. It's www.miralink.com and uh, and when they spell that for us, we're gonna say Mira. M I R A. L-I-N-K. Yeah, I'll get rid of my Can you say that five times? <laughs> it's just like saying privacy, piracy five times. That's not easy either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. sound bites and constant visual stimulation telling us how to look, act, talk, and feel, we have lost our ability to connect. Instead of focusing on what celebrities are doing as if they were our acquaintances, maybe we can look more to each other to emulate and learn from. Join us Friday mornings from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. with Peace by Peace, where we discuss issues that affect our peace peace of humanity, and peace in our time.